Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon at church. I'm not going to tell you how to receive today's sermon. If you'd like to stand during portions of it, you can. If you'd like to remain seated, you can. Is that okay, Tony? We can do that. If you can do it with music, why can't you do it with a sermon, right? It'd be awesome if we just started standing up for parts of the message today. That'd be really cool. If you want to, you can open up your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. The uh, great theologian of the last century was a gentleman by the name of Karl Barth. He wrote a 10-volume theological work called Ethics. And during the period of his life, Karl Barth toured all over the United States, Europe, South America, and even parts of Africa. And he was going to universities and seminaries and theological schools. And after he would complete his lectures, he would open up the floor for people to ask him different questions pertaining to the Bible and so on and so forth. And there was one young man who asked Dr. Barth if he could boil down all of his theological knowledge, everything that he knew about the Bible into just a a sentence or two, what would the essence, what would the central truth be of his theological understanding? And Karl Barth didn't hesitate, and he said, you know, it's really quite simple. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. A very simple answer, for sure. And, and I would agree, by the way, with Karl Barth, the, the simplicity and the truthfulness of the Bible that we have in that statement is something that we all learn as children growing up in vacation Bible schools and uh, going to Sunday school or life group classes. Jesus loves me. This, is, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I think is probably the ultimate expression for the Christian. However, as true as that statement is, the simplicity of the gospel is born out of hardship and born out of suffering. And Jesus, by the way, never said that following him would be easy. He certainly never said it would be fun. He actually said that following him would be painful, that it would be tied to a great deal of suffering, and that suffering became a living illustration on the cross as Jesus hung on that cross and died for us. Don't believe the wolf in sheep's clothing The pastors that seem to garner a profound following these days, that they'll tell you that the Christian walk is filled with prosperity, it's filled with a peaceful, happy existence, that it's fun, and that there's materialism to be gained in following Christ. Following Christ, by his own words, is a difficult road to travel, and by the way, is a hard life to live. Fill in these blanks for me, if you will, this morning, right there at the top of your order of worship there, your sermon notes. Following Jesus is not simple, but it is satisfying. It's not simple, 
but it is satisfying. It's not easy, but there is something at the end of the road that's beneficial to the kingdom of God, but also to those that follow him. Suffering is a large part of the Christian life. There's always a reward. Listen to Jesus' own words. Coming from Mark chapter 10, verses 29 through 30. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left a house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come, eternal life. By the way, Jesus here is not saying, he's not promising to give a hundred fields to everyone who gave up a farm to follow him. He's not promising to give back a hundred mothers for the mother that you leave behind to follow him. He's not promising to make everyone wealthy. He's not talking here in literal terms. He means that the things that we received in the next life will garner with it a hundred times more value than the things that we give up for in this life. As measured by real value, eternal value, not by temporary fads or physical things. Jesus is saying at the end of the day, when we follow him, when we leave everything that we deem as important and we sacrifice those things, that there is a hundredfold return for those in eternal life. Things that are difficult to measure here, but things that are very measurable on the other side. Even our trials, by the way, have spiritual values and benefits. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 says this, the words of Paul. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Again, in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, listen to the words of James. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, that it produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and not lacking anything. Friends, this is of greater value than gold. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, Peter says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ. God sometimes gives us gold and other temporary rewards, perhaps as an indication of things better to come, but the rewards that count the most are going to be the rewards that last forever in heaven. Isn't it good that we don't suffer in vain. Isn't it good that we don't sacrifice in vain? That we don't live this Christian life and deal with the things that we Christians deal with. That those things are not done in vain. That there's something else out there. There's a purpose to our pain. There's growth in our suffering. We're refined by the fire of trials, but it's good to remember that there is a satisfying reward for our toils. This morning, if you will, you can open up your Bibles again to Luke chapter 9. I'm reading from verses 23 through 27, our focal verse, if you will. And Jesus is speaking to everyone here, including his disciples. And he says to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed 
when he comes into glory and the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now this morning, there is a lot to unpack here in these several verses. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to spend all of our time in verse 23. 23 is it, okay? And we'll cover the other verses in a few weeks to come. But I want to stay right here in verse 23 initially. So this morning, according to Jesus, following him is, now we have four points. Following him is one, revealing It's revealing. Following Christ is revealing. Focus on this part of verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me. And he said to all, if anyone. Highlight those words, all and anyone. If all and anyone can come after me. In this scripture, we see Jesus. He drops all the facades. No more games. He gets to the heart of the matter. It's almost like he's saying, guys... Guys, I'm going to get real with you here. I'm going to get real with you. In May of 1992, MTV debuted a show that would change the landscape of television history. I was 14 years old when this television show hit the airwaves. By the way, I was not allowed to watch it. But my friends were talking about it at school. I heard people talking about it. It was on magazine covers. It was in the newspapers. It was, on, it was on the nightly news. And so while my parents were being parents and not paying attention, I disobeyed and I found myself watching television I was not supposed to watch. I'm so glad I can finally confess that. I know it's hard to believe your pastor at age 14 was a disobedient child, but I was. The show that came out in May of 1992 was a show called The Real World. How many of you remember that show? The Real World. Some of you were grounded and you couldn't watch it either, apparently. (laughs) Do you remember the intro to the show? The intro went like this. This is a true story of seven strangers picked to live in a house, to work together, and to have their lives taped. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. Stop being polite and start getting real. The real world, by the way, gave birth to reality television. People wanted to see what real life was like. We're done with pre-taped, scripted television shows. People wanted the drama and grit of the real world streaming into their homes every single week. In verse 23, Jesus reveals a powerful concept to his disciples. He opens their eyes to the real world of living for him, of what it really takes to follow him. This is what it really takes to follow him. He reveals that following him is open and available to all and to anyone. Following him is open to all and to anyone. Anyone can come after him and be his believers. Jesus' words, by the way, flew in the face of common Jewish thought at the time. Rabbis during this period were very, very selective of those who would be allowed to follow him. Peter, Andrew, James, John, all of these disciples were probably rabbinical rejects, especially Peter and Andrew. 
If you recall, in the book of Mark, chapter 4, Jesus is walking down the seashore, and he sees Peter and Andrew casting their nets into the water. And what does he say to them? He says, leave your nets and come follow me. And what? I will make you fishers of men. Remember that? Thing. And do you remember what the scripture said? It says, immediately, Peter and Andrew dropped their nets, left everything, and followed him. Their dreams of following a rabbi, their dreams of being called forth and saying, I believe you have intrinsic value and purpose. I want you to follow me, had finally been met in the person of Jesus Christ. It said over the course of a lifetime, a rabbi would only choose only a handful of people to eventually be his apprentice and maybe just a few more to be those following him. Jesus follows, by the way, a similar model. Uh, model. He, he selects 12 and out of the 12 he picks three. Their dreams had finally come true. And yet when Jesus says to, to all, if anyone wants to come after me, Peter and Andrew are like, wait, 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 wait a second. Jesus, anyone, anyone can come and follow you? I thought we were special. I thought we were different. I thought we were new. You're saying now that anyone, no rabbi would say anyone can come follow them. And yet Jesus did. The revelation to us this morning, this new reality, if you will, is really important because Jesus' invitation to follow him, at least in our context, in our culture, it's open to whites, it's open to blacks, Asians, Hispanics, Eskimos, and everybody in between. All and anyone can follow Christ. Anybody can. You don't have to be special. You can be special. But you don't have to be to follow Christ. He says to all and to anyone this means that Jesus' invitation to follow him is open to doctors, to lawyers, to teachers, and amen to preachers. Hallelujah. But it also means that it's open to prostitutes, drug dealers, murderers, those that are in jail and in prisons, those that are on death row. Anybody and all can follow Christ. The Greek word, by the way, used here is the word tis. Tis. It's a super simple Greek word, but it's very important. It means any man. It means any woman. It means anyone. And it also means anything. The invitation to follow Jesus is open to any and everyone, no matter where they are, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been or where they think they are going. Jesus is revealing to the disciples that he is calling all sinners to follow him. All sinners. That means me and you and everybody else. Isn't that awesome that we worship a Savior who leads with his arms wide open and says, anybody, if you so desire and if you so make the choice, can come and be my disciple. How amazing is that? What a phenomenal call. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, 15 through 19, I'm using the message, little translation. I just liked how it said. He says, here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof, public sinner number one, of someone 
who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy, and now he shows me off evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. Paul's words, Paul saying, listen, I can't believe he called me to be his disciple, but he did. Paul, a zealot and a murderer. If he can call me, he can call you. According to Jesus, following him is revealing. Isn't that awesome? This wonderful revelation that anybody can come to Christ, no matter where they are, where they've been, where they're going, or what they've currently done. But it's also revealing, but it's also refusing. refusing. According to Jesus, following him is refusing something. Following him is refusing something. Go back to verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, and here is the dreaded comma, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. It's good news today that Jesus reveals that his invitation to follow him is open to anyone and all. It's good news, by the way, that comes with a cost. It's good news that comes at a cost. And Jesus continues saying, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. This is where Jesus loses the crowd. And for maybe better point, this is where Jesus loses our culture. This is where Jesus loses a lot of the church. When he says, we must deny ourselves. In order to follow Christ, we have to put ourselves on the back burner and allow him to be the front. To follow Jesus, we have to give up ownership of our lives and install him as the sole proprietor of our hearts, our souls, our minds, our wishes, our dreams, and our desires. In order to follow Christ, we must lay down who we once were and who we are currently and allow himself to call the shots. That is a difficult thing to do. Many of you know that since the new year, I've been trying to work on myself a little bit. I've joined a gym. Tina, Katie, you're right there with me. You've been there. I've been going there on the regular. How many of you joined the gym as a New Year's resolution? Anybody? How many of you still are going to the gym? Okay. How many of you like to eat fried chicken? Right? Yeah, me too. Okay. Yeah, now I will say this, I joined this gym and I'm proud to say that I've still gone five days a week, every single day during the week, Monday through Friday. Each morning that I go, it's it's an exercise of self-denial. It's an exercise of self-denial. When my alarm clock goes off early in the morning, when it's still dark outside, my flesh wants to stay in bed and skip. Can I get an amen? My mind has to rule over my body to get up and to get going. I have to deny that lazy desire and instead replace that lazy desire with productivity. I'll tell you where I really struggle. Y'all ever go to churches, for those of you that are visiting, and you go to churches and maybe, you're, maybe the churches you visit, their pastors have it all together. I, I'm not that guy. 
okay? I don't have it all together. Make a lot of errors and make a lot of mistakes. But I'm going to tell you where I really struggle. I really struggle with the denial of food. Some of you are laughing because you struggle with the same thing. I struggle with the denial of food. There are two types of food. There's good food that is healthy and serves as fuel. And there's bad food that is yummy and delicious and is trash. Thank you for the amen. Stage left. You can imagine, by the way, which food I like to eat. It's the bad food. I like bad food. I'd eat bad food every meal if I could and wash it down with a cool, cold, crisp Mountain Dew. For the past month, every day is filled with a denial of bad food in favor of good food. Self-denial, self-denial, by the way, is a part of our everyday existence. Chances are you felt like quitting your job because your boss is a jerk. You denied that urge, and you get up and you go to work every day anyway. I'm glad no one on our staff said amen. (laughs) You had your chance, Josh Rabin. You probably had a moment when you didn't want to study for that test, students. But you know what? You put your nose to the grindstone. You laid aside Fortnite or whatever it is y'all want to do. And you said, I'm going I'm to study. You've probably had moments where you've wanted to skip worship and church in favor of going hunting. Or maybe during the summertime going to the beach. And you deny that incl- inclination in favor of investing in yourself spiritually. The Greek word, by the way, for let him deny himself, it is one word, let him deny himself, is actually one word. It's arneomai, arneomai. It literally means to deny oneself, to disregard our own interest, or to act unlike yourself. Isn't that interesting? To deny myself means to act unlike myself. Now, a few years ago, this picture of self-denial became very real for me in the illustration of someone that I was serving with. It was at my first church. I met with a man in my office. He was a friend and someone that I, that I, I really liked and respected, still do like and respect, and someone that was very involved in our church. He volunteered in adult ministry for many, many years. He had been at the church for probably 20 years. He was even a deacon in our church. He was an unmarried man with no children. He often told me and he told other people that the church had become his bride. That he felt married to the church. And that the congregants were his children and people that he loved. He loved that church and the church loved him and still does. About two years into my ministry there, he came to my office And he made a startling confession to me, a confession that he had made to the pastor and to others in leadership, but had not made to me. And he confessed that he was gay. I was stunned. Stunned. I didn't expect him to say that. And before I could utter a word, he told me that he knew his feelings were wrong. And that they weren't consistent with God's word. And they weren't consistent 
with his beliefs. He told me long ago he gave his heart to Christ. And when he did, he also told me that he gave his feelings and his fleshly desires to Christ as well. And he submitted to Christ's authority over his life instead of pursuing that lifestyle. He pursued instead loving God, reading Scripture, prayer, and serving God's people instead. He told me that giving his heart to Christ was the greatest decision of his life and that he would never trade his decision to follow Christ for any other lifestyle that would lead contrary because it would hurt Christ. And brothers and sisters, that is what it means to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. The invitation to follow Christ is open to everyone, but it's an invitation that comes at a price. It's a cost that far too many people are unwilling to pay. Some people want to follow Christ, but they can't put down a bottle. Some people want to follow Christ, but they can't find help for their addiction. Some people want to follow Christ, but it means they have to live a different lifestyle. Following Christ always comes at a cost. Always comes at a cost. Brothers and sisters, we must remember that self-denial is self-control. Truthfully, we have the Holy Spirit to help us with self-control and self-mastery. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of the power of love and self-control. With the power of self-control, granted through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can deny ourselves and take up that cross. Love God and love his people. So according to Jesus, following him is revealing. It's refusing It's also, Roman numeral three, relentless, relentless. In verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. He must take up his cross daily. When Jesus carried his cross up to Golgotha to be crucified, no one was thinking of that cross as a symbolic of a a burden to carry. To a person of the first century when Jesus was alive, the cross meant one thing and one thing only. It meant death. And it meant death by the most painful and humiliating means that a human could possibly devise at the time. And 2,000 years later, we Christians wear that cross around our neck as a symbol of hope and of love and of purity and of grace and of mercy. But in Jesus' day, the cross, it represented nothing but torturous death. Because the Romans forced convicted criminals to carry their own crosses to the place of crucifixion, bearing a cross meant carrying their own execution device while facing ridicule all along the way. Therefore, take up your cross and follow me means being willing to die in order to follow Jesus. This is a calling to dying of self. It's a calling of absolute surrender After each time Jesus commanded cross-bearing, he said the following thing again in Luke chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. He says, forever would save his life, would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what is it man to profit 
if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits himself. The call to follow Christ is tough, but the reward for following Christ is matchless. When we lose our lives, we save it. When we follow Christ, we leave the world, but we gain heaven in the same way. Following Jesus is easy. Following Jesus is easy when life is going right, when things are running smooth. Our true commitment to him, by the way, is revealed during trials. Jesus assured us that trials were going to come to his followers. He, had, he told us it was going to come for me and for you, for everybody. Open your Bibles, or actually just slide down a little bit, maybe even on the same page in some of your scripture, to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Let me read to you what Jesus says. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my dad. A reasonable request. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say uh, farewell to those at my home. Let me say bye to mom. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In that story, you had three people that seemed willing to follow Christ. And yet when Jesus questioned them further about their commitment, it was half-hearted at best. They failed to count the cost. They did not like the price. If you're one. If you're wondering this morning if you're ready to take up the cross, consider these questions. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your closest friends? Are you willing to say, I'm going to choose Jesus over everybody else? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Don't think that doesn't happen, by the way. We had a family join our church, I don't know, about four years ago. Join their church and baptize every single one of them. Mom, dad, all the kids. They were coming from a different denominational background. And when they left that denomination, their mother, well, her mother and father haven't spoken to her since. All because she pursued Christ. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means a loss of your reputation? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your job? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your life? Commitment to Christ means taking up your cross every single day. It is a relentless desire to follow him. Every single day, the world is going to come after you. The world will tempt you. The world will tell you that Jesus is not enough and that you need something else. Every single day, the world is going to attack your parenting. He's going to attack your marriage. He's going to attack, the world's going to attack your kids. Everything is going to be given up. Are you willing to follow him? Last, one, last point, according to Jesus, following him is revealing, it's refusing, it's relentless, but it's also resolute. And if anyone said to him, excuse me, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Make a choice. Friend, today is the day. And Jesus has just brought us a real truth. Anybody can follow him. 
However, following him comes at a cost. Following him will have to be a daily function of our lives. Every day I must choose to sacrifice myself on the cross of Christ. Today, we must make the choice to either follow him or not. Not everyone will. Remember the scripture where Jesus says that on the day of judgment, there'll be people outside the gate saying, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, go away because I never knew you. Not everyone will follow him. Not everyone will make the choice to master themselves for the glory of Christ. Not everyone will say that they are ready for that type of commitment. My question to you this morning is this, are you, are you ready to say yes? Yes, there'll be sacrifice here on earth, but there'll be eternal gain in heaven. More than we could ever know, more than we could ever dream. And the chief among that is Jesus himself, that we get to see him and that he'll stand and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. One of my favorite songs is I've decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. What's the third one? My cross I'll what? Carry. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back.